Bill Atwood, where are you? There you go. He's the only guy who went down twice that day. So, but he, he, he came up once. We'll see if he comes up a second time. But uh, come here a minute, Bill. Bill wasn't able to be here last uh, Sunday because he had so many family and friends and they had planned a little brunch over in the Oxnard area. And uh, he didn't really get an opportunity to share with this group at large. And so, uh, man, God's done a, a remarkable work in this man's life. Let me, let me tell you, and, and, and I, I just say this. If you want to know whether or not uh, God is at work, you don't look at, at excitement. You look at life change. Okay, and I, I don't mean there's not excitement in life change because there can be. But what you look at over time is whether or not the commitments are making, people are making are really f transforming their lives. The Bible says don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You may prove what is God's good and acceptable and perfect will. You know, I've, I've, I've known Bill now for about two years, I think, maybe a little longer. Three? I forgot the first year. But, uh, <laughs> but God has so transformed this man's life, and he's not only become a passionate follower of Christ, he's become a change agent. Uh, he, he serves. He doesn't just attend this church. And so, uh, Bill, uh, take a minute if you would. Let me Whoa. turn this on. You're going to get this microphone and everything. You can come up here. You can see that he's right up here with me, size and all. So um, take a minute and share a little bit about why you did what you did last week. And, and uh, I'm talking about the baptism part. I don't know why you did this. No, I do. <laughs> <laughs> but you can share that a little bit, too, if you'd like. But just take a minute, if you would, because I know you wanted to do this last week, but didn't, couldn't well, be here. I just said I wanted to do this just to appease you. So. So, no, I'm just kidding. That's it. Um, Hold that up where they can hear you. Well, I spent most of my adult life fighting uh, alcoholism, um, and I tried to do it alone without Christ or any kind of uh, fellowship or anything. And seven years ago, I met this wonderful lady, Sharon, who's been a part of your church for about 20 years. And uh, I wasn't ready to commit my life. Uh, she just kept praying and kept asking me to come to, with her to Heart of the Canyons. And then uh, after about two years, I got tired of seeing the pain on her face, and, and I was in complete and total despair. And I got on my knees, and I, and I turned my life over to God, Jesus Christ. Um, and I just asked him, show me the way. What do I need to do? And from that day, that obsession was immediately removed. Um, it was a miracle. And, and I share this in another in a group that I go to, it's rare, but it happened. And I, uh, you know, I started coming to Heart of the Canyons. And I have a great deal of gratitude for you. Uh, when I got here, I was scared. And, but yet you embraced me. And uh, I met some really good men, godly men here that took me under their wing. And, uh, and I love coming here. I owe it to Heart of the Canyons. Um, it was uh, a an honor to be able to get baptized and make this uh, commitment to Christ in front of this lovely lady before I asked her to marry me so she knew that I was committed and then I wanted to commit my life to her here. And uh, thank God you said yes. There's a lot of people there. <laughs> uh, the funny thing is, is that what made it so incredible is that all my family and friends were there and 
uh, people from this congregation and people I didn't know that were just so happy for me to take this next step in my journey. It was overwhelming uh, for both of us. Um, I'm shaking like a mini bike here. I, I, uh, cause I don't want to cry. I, that's what you do. When you get, and, uh, and then when, that's why I sit in the back cause when you cry, I cry and I don't want to go through all that. It's just, it's an ugly mess. But uh, anyway, I, I'm glad you called me up here, not only to thank Heart of the Canyons, but to thank you for being my Jesus coach. And that's why I call you that. Um, I would have been honored you, for you to be my football coach back when I was playing, but you know, I call you that not out of disrespect, but because you are my, my coach, and I love you for it. Thank you, man. Put it right there. You make me cry. <laughs> it's my job to make people cry, not yours. Let me tell you something, folks. God still changes people's lives. If I didn't do, if I didn't believe that, I would quit. Uh, but I know He does that because He's still changing mine. Not because I just see change in people around me, but I see Him continually changing my heart changing my life. It's been, a, it's been an interesting week. I can't tell you all about the week, but it's just been an interesting week, and through it, God has really challenged me, and, uh, and he's shown me that uh, after nearly um, 57 years of knowing Christ, that he is still actively involved in changing who I am. Um, you know, Paul says in the latter years of his life, he said, not that I've yet attained it. You'd think a guy who'd written a significant portion of the New Testament by now uh, and had led in the planting of literally uh, many, many churches. We don't know how many churches that he um, was involved in planting. But um, you would think by that time he would not need to say, not that I've yet attained it. And he said, but not yet I've attained it. But forgetting what's behind and reaching forward to what's ahead, I press on to the mark of the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it's so important for us that we, it's so important for us that we continue that journey. And I don't care where you are in the journey today. I really don't. I don't care if you're entering into the journey. I don't care if you uh, feel like you're getting ready to exit the journey. You still have room to grow or you wouldn't be here. Yeah. I, I, all four of those hands. <laughs> Guys, that's true of every one of you. And if we need to do anything as a church, is we not only to, need to reach people who are outside of Christ, but we need to encourage one another to grow. And last week was just a beautiful, beautiful picture of that. And so I thank all of you who have been involved in the lives of all the people. We I think we baptized six adults last, year, last week, and it was just a spectacular day. And each one of them had unique and special stories. And I'm grateful that God lets me be a part of what he's doing. So thank you. And let's, uh, let's do better. Amen? Amen. And uh, let's, let's uh, strive together for the faith of the gospel, uh, which is really under attack these days. But the gospel's fine. It really is. And it will always be fine. And God continues to do his work. Well, today we continue our series, Set Free to Live Free, as we look at the Ten Commandments. And 
Uh, it's been a good series for me because I think sometimes we know these things, but we don't really think about the implications of these laws, these commandments that God gave us. And uh, it's been interesting to go back and look not just at what they say on a surface basis, but really a lot of what they mean. I think one of the problems we have in the church today is we know what the Bible says, but we're not sure what it means by what it says. And until you come to understanding the meaning of the text of Scripture, you miss some of the implications that are so critical for you to live out the life that God intended for you to live. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and that you might have life abundant. We're going to talk about that verse a little bit later this morning as we look at this passage. But up until now, we've looked at the first five commandments that were given to Moses by God. They were actually written by the finger of God, by the hand of God. And they were given to the Israelite people to sort of help them reset their, their moral compass is what it was done. They had come out of 400 years of Egyptian bondage. Uh, they had been inundated with so much paganism and false belief about God. And while they held on to their belief in God, so much of their belief system had been corrupted. And so God brings them to this place and he finally establishes in them uh, the, the, the standards that he expects them to live by. Now, the problem when you look at these standards is that when we look at them, we realize these are expectations of God, but they're all expectations that we fall short of keeping. Enter Jesus into the picture. Jesus did not uh, violate any of God's moral or spiritual laws. God, Jesus never did that. He never once violated any one of the Ten Commandments. Because of that, Jesus was capable of crawling on a cross and offering himself as a sacrifice for our sin. Until that time and until the coming of the Holy Spirit, the ten laws that we've been given were laws that we, we work to try to keep in and of ourselves. But the Bible says in the Old Testament, one day God was going to take out the heart of stone and he was going to give us a heart of flesh. He said he would put his commandments in us. In other words, it wouldn't be some standard out here we strive to keep. It's something God puts in us. And then the Holy Spirit empowers us as we live our life. And he convicts us when we're wrong. And he encourages us when we're right. He convicts us when we're wrong. And he encourages us when we're right. Now, when you look at these commandments, you understand there's sort of categories of relationships. Most theologians put it in two categories, simply how we relate to God and then how we relate to one another. And, 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 but when I look at the text of Scripture, I, I, I maybe see more than I should, but I see there are really kind of four categories of relationships in the Ten Commandments. First and foremost being our relationship to God. Then I think he moves out of that after completing the first three commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make unto me any graven image and bow down and worship that image. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. In other words, we're not to worship false gods. We're not, to, we're not even to worship the true God in false ways. And in our lives, we're to honor the name of God. We're to honor God's name. And that doesn't just mean that we don't say uh, God's name in vain in the sense that we take God's bad. We don't make commitments in God's name that we don't intend to keep. 
We don't speak, speak on behalf of God when we're not authorized to speak on behalf of God. And by all means, we do not curse, use God's name as a curse word. Is it hot in here to y'all? Can somebody come and check this air conditioner over here? Because if you think it's hot up back there, it's really hot up here. And I, it get much harder, and I'm going to preach on hell here in a minute. So, because uh, it's, uh, is that thing working? You know, I came in here Thursday, and you could have hung meat in here. So I'm going to have a, is it going now? So I'm going to talk to the school district. We need to be able to hang meat in here on Sunday morning, too. I told them I like it cold in here, because the reality is, um, when, it's, when a surgeon does surgery, it's better that it's cold in the room. So if I'm going to cut you open this morning, I want it to be cool so you feel better. How's that? So I'm not going to do that. But, uh, and so we talk about relationship with God, and no doubt that relationship matters. But the second relationship, I believe, when he talks about the, the, the rem- remembering the Sabbath to keep it holy, he's not just talking about how we relate to God. He's talking about how it's important for us to take time in our life to remember that we're not God. Now, if you don't hear anything I say this morning, hear this. You're not God. You are not created to be a God. You're not created to be God. And when you try to play the role of God, the only person who gets frustrated or the person who's frustrated most in the end is you. Everybody around you is frustrated too because they know you don't make a good God. And you're not God. And we need to take time in our life to remember our limitations. That's really what the Sabbath day is all about. It's remembering that God's God and we're not. And so we remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. The third relationship that I think he elevates in this passage of Scripture is the relationship of family. Because he says, honor your father and mother that your days may be long on the earth. Uh, and, and, and without question, that's what we do. But I think to some degree what he's saying is, look, for a healthy person, for healthy people to exist in our world, they have to live in the context of healthy families. That's what they need. And, and if, 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 if we honor our father and mothers, and we do that for two reasons. Number one, because we're commanded. Number two, it's much easier, parents, if you will live honorably before your kids It'll be much easier for them to honor you. And so I think what he's talking about here is the critical nature of the family relationship. Now, guys, I can tell you this. The family is broken in America today. And many of the problems that we're experiencing, many of the problems that we're experiencing today exist because of the violation of family, or if you want my opinion, it is existing because the culture has decided to redefine the family. And you can't do that. I mean, we were all shocked last week. And it's becoming less and less shocking. That's the tragedy in America at the number of people who were killed. You go back and look at one of the common denominators in all of these mass shooters. One of the common denominators is the absence of family. And I will tell you guys, it matters. And if I could say anything to you this morning before I get to don't kill anybody. Okay. What I would say to you is you need to work on your family. You need to work on your family. Preserve your family. It's critical for your health. It's critical for the health of people involved in your family. And it's interesting to me that one of the one of the things one of the ways God describes this church is that we are called what? The family of God. That's who we are. We're the family of God. 
The Bible says you belong in God's household. You belong in God's family with every other member. You know, it's so important that we understand that family really does matter. And so he talks about relationship to God, relationship to yourself, relationship to family. And now he sets the parameters for what those relationships look like in the next five commandments. And he begins with this first one. And it's, uh, it's just four simple words. And I think we would all kind of say, well, duh, this is a, a no-brainer. And here's what he says. You shall not murder. Anybody think that's a good idea? This is sort of a no-brainer, isn't it? Now, some of you who grew up in the King James era, era, uh, if you grew up in the King, King James era, the, the King James translated with the words what? You shall not kill. Okay? Now, the word Hebrew word here is actually not the word kill. It's actually the word murder is what it is. And and, and, and many believe that if you went back to the time of King James, that when they used the word kill, they meant the word murder. It's like the word Holy Ghost, okay? When you read the King James, you talk about being filled with the Holy Ghost, okay? We don't use the word ghost a lot because when I think about a ghost, what I think about? A spook, okay? Uh, the, God is not the Holy Spook. Now, he can scare you, okay? But that's not what he does. He's not running around with a sheet and holes cut out of with her eyes going, boo, okay, that's not him. When we think of that, we think in terms of God being spirit, not ghost. And so in the translation of things, sometimes we lose our meaning. But in this particular passage of Scripture, he simply says, thou shalt not murder. Now, to, to go through this text and maybe the subsequent following till we finish, we're going to look at three questions. What is the meaning of the commandment? And then we're going to look at another question in a moment, but I want to begin right there. What is the meaning of the commandment? Now, here's why this matters to me. Because a lot of us know what the Bible says. We're just not sure what it means by what it says. Does that make sense? We know what the Bible says, but we don't know what it means by what it says. And until you capture the meaning and the depth of meaning found in the Bible, then you're going to miss something as far as application in your own life. So what is the meaning of this commandment? Now, the truth is, this commandment does not prohibit all killing. It does not. Because if it said, thou shalt not kill, then um, um, I, I can't eat uh, brisket anymore. So I know it doesn't say that. In fact, if it says, thou shalt not kill, and it means that we can't take life from anything, if that's exactly what it means, then you're going to find that this commandment was violated very early on. In fact, God was the first person to violate it. Because when Adam and Eve die, or when Adam and Eve sinned, what was the first thing God did? He killed animals, and he used the skin of those animals to clothe Adam and Eve. It's actually a picture of what God was going to do for us in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, we are obviously told that uh, animals are good for food. Now, I don't know who wrote that one, but I agree with that one. Okay. And so it doesn't prohibit all sense of killing. It, it prohibits unnecessary killing. But more importantly, it's, under us, uh, it's important for us to understand that this commandment, while it does... It does not prohibit all killing. It prohibits murder, and murder is the unnecessary taking of human life. It is the unnecessary taking of human life. 
Now, there are two implications that I want you to get from this text. And here's the first one that I want you to understand. First of all, according to this commandment, we are not, none of us in the room is authorized to execute vengeance toward another human being. We are not authorized, I am not authorized to execute vengeance toward another human being. And you say, what do you mean by that? What I mean by that is that I do not have the right as an individual to execute judgment against another person. Judgment begins to, by, it, it, it is, judgment be, belongs to God and by those whom he is authorized to exercise that judgment. In other words, you and I cannot take life in our own hands. We cannot decide uh, uh, as a vigilante that we're somehow going to execute judgment in the life of another person. You say, well, what about justice? Well, God has put things in place and systems in place for that to take place. Now, I will tell you this. I do not believe for one moment this prohibits you from self-defense, nor do I believe in any way that prohibits you from defending the life of another human against tax. I don't believe that means that at all. But once something has happened, you and I need to depend on God and the systems that he has put in place to execute justice and vengeance into the life of other people. In Romans chapter 12, verse, uh, verse 19, he says these words. He wrote, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. In other words, here's the one thing I know. I will never, as long as I live, feel like there is enough justice in our world. In fact, I don't think we're ever going to find complete and full justice in this world. I just don't think it's going to happen. But believe my... Believe me, one day, one day, justice will be executed on every one of us, but not by another human being. Justice will be executed by God himself. Now, God has put systems in place. I didn't have room to put all these texts in this, on this outline today. As you can see, both pages are pretty full, but let me read one to you out of Romans 13. It talks about the role of government and the role of, of, of executing judgment. It says, therefore, who resists, Romans chapter 13, verse 2 through 4 says, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is, a, he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. In other words, God has created systems. God has allowed governments to create systems for the purpose of executing judgment in the lives of wrongdoers who choose not to fear God. Who choose not to fear God. And so the first implication that I want you to get this morning is simply that I, as an individual, am not authorized to execute vengeance toward another human being as much as I may want to do that at times in my life. There's a second thing, and I think this one is even more obvious. Number two, we are not authorized to end human life at any stage. 
we are not authorized to end human life at any stage. Now, folks, this covers everything from abortion to euthanasia. You see, the scripture, the scripture elevates the value of life from the womb to the tomb. The scripture elevates life from the womb to the tomb. Psalm 139 says these words, You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my, where? In my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, O God. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was not, not yet any of them. So you've you got to understand that the Bible, I believe, teaches us that we as individuals do not have the right to play the role of God and end life at any stage from the womb to the tomb. Now, that would include the issue of suicide. And I know that's a very difficult subject today. But it's important for us to understand that God has called us to protect life. He's called us as followers of God to elevate the value of human life. Humans matter. And they matter to God. And that's why in the passage of Scripture, he simply says, every healthy person, every healthy family, every healthy society has a high view of life. By the way, Jesus said the reason he came is that we might have life. That we might have it abundantly. That we might have life. And we might have it abundantly. Let me tell you something about Heart of the Canyons. As long as I have anything to say about it, we will fight for life. We will believe in life from conception to natural extinction. Now, let me address one thing here. Um, If you choose not to take some forms of medical treatment, that is not suicide. Okay? Now hear me. I'm not talking about you making that decision for somebody else. Uh, My uncle, my wife's uncle, passed away just a few weeks ago. He was 86 years old. When they told him he had cancer, they said, well, we can do this and this and this. He said, I'm 86. Let me go. And he went pretty fast. One of my favorite men in the history of this church was a guy named Don Matsuda. Don and his wife were uh, Japanese-Americans. He actually was on the island when Pearl Harbor was bombed and put into a camp, released before that evening, and he fought the most decorated Japanese battalion in the Pacific. Don was the most godly man, man, one of the most godly men I've ever known. Uh, This guy was, uh, I mean, he was about this tall and she was about this tall. But man, that guy had a soul bigger than you can imagine. And i never forget the day I was sitting in my office. We knew he hadn't been feeling well. He told me he was going to the doctor. So he came back from the doctor, and 
He came into my office and said, Jim. I said, what? He said, I have uh, liver cancer. And I said, oh, Don, I'm really sorry. I said, so what did the doctor say? He said, uh, the doctor said they could treat it, but I'm 80, I think he was 86, 87. He said, I've watched my kids grow up. I've watched my grandkids grow up. I've watched some of my great-grandkids grow up. And he said, uh, I'm just ready to go see Jesus. I'm just ready to go see Jesus. One of the most moving moments of my life as a pastor, I will tell you, I will never forget this moment as long. He kind of gave me my goal in life. I, I went in to see Don just a couple of days before he passed. He was in his home over here in Friendly Valley, sitting in a, kind of had him as much as comfortable as they could in a little reclining chair. Don had received, had refused most treatments. He had taken some stuff for his pain issues. And so I went in to see him and his family said to him, Jim, I said, well, I'm going to go in and talk to Don for a minute. They said, no, 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 Don's not here. I said, oh, Don's still here. No, Don's not here. And I, you know, I'm of the belief that because someone was, is in a coma doesn't mean, may mean they can't respond, but doesn't mean they can't receive. And so I thought, I'm going to go in. So I sat down with Don and said, Don, is Pastor Jim? And he didn't respond. There wasn't any response whatsoever. Not, not a move, not a sound other than his breathing. And I said, I want to read some scripture to you. And said, I read John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me and my Father's house or many mansions that were not. So I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am there, you may be also. And I said, Don, that verse is for you today. Can I pray with you? Now, you got to remember, this guy hadn't spoken or said anything for several days. And so I said prayer. And when I got through, I looked over and Don's eyes were open. And he looked at me and he goes, Pastor Jim. I said, what, Don? He said, I want you to know something. On the outside, I'm dying right now, but on the inside, I'm more alive than I've ever been. He loved life. The Bible is very clear when it says, you shall not murder. And we need to honor those things. Now, some of us are pretty clear on that one, aren't we? So the second question is simply this. If I live my life, my entire life, without violating any of the above, can I say that I've lived my life not committing murder? Well, I think to understand that, we're going to have to turn over a few pages to the New Testament because Jesus goes into this commandment a little deeper is what he does. And I want you to listen. I want us to let the words of Jesus answer that question for us because here's what Jesus said regarding this commandment. In Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, verses 21 and 22, he says, you've heard it said uh, uh, to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, that's scary, I've said that a few times, will be liable to the hell of fire. Hmm. You see, Jesus knew something that we all should know, and that is this. The act of murder doesn't begin with the hands. It begins in the heart. It begins in the heart. So when you read this text of Scripture, you have to ask, what did Jesus mean by this? What did Jesus mean by this? I, and, and the truth is, 
you know, I, I, think, I don't think Jesus was copying Barney Fife, but it's really sort of a Barney Fife theology. And you know what Barney Fife's theology is, don't you? It's nip it in the bud. Just nip it in the bud. In other words, the, the issue of murder is not a physical act before it is a heart issue. You've got to deal with the issues of your heart. So what is, God, what is God's will for each of us as it relates to the sixth commandment? In, in, a, in a confession called the Heidelberg Confession, they give a whole section on the Ten Commandments. You ought to go read them. They're very interesting. They're just old confessions of some of the uh, uh, ancient church. And, and, and this one, just let me give you a part of it. Here's what he says. He says, if this verse is true, and it's true, this is what Jesus was saying. He's saying, I am not to belittle, hate, insult, or kill my neighbor. I'm not to belittle, hate, insult, or kill my neighbor. Not by my thoughts, my words, my look, my gesture, and certainly not by actual deeds. Now that changes a little bit, isn't it? How many of you have ever uh, heard the words, uh, you know, um, how many of you have ever heard someone say, um, if looks could kill? How many, how many of you have ever killed anybody with your looks? <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about? My sister called it the hairy eyeball stick them out. <laughs> you ever had the hairy eyeball stick them out? Okay. If I told on her, she, she could kill me. Softly with his words. <laughs> what he's saying in this is that we don't just value life and that we don't take it physically. Is that as followers of Christ, we want to make sure that we aren't undermining life at all. And you know, truthfully, I believe this is... Um, this is exactly what happened in the first murder recorded in Genesis 4. You remember the story of Cain and Abel, where Cain slew Abel? And if you know a little bit of background, Cain was a worker of the land. Abel was a hunter. And when God told them to bring sacrifice, he told them to kill an animal and place it on the altar, and they did that. But Cain didn't want to do that because he worked with his, the labor of his hands and he wanted to provide what he had done for God. It was a doctrine of works is what it was doing. And the Bible says that God didn't accept Cain's sacrifice. And you know what happened? Cain did what happens to a lot of us sometimes. His heart began to be filled with pride and jealousy and envy and greed. And listen to these words. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. <laughs> if you've been so angry, your face fell. You guys know what I'm talking about? Your countenance changes. Changes your countenance. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, you will not be accepted. You, if, you, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. See, the problem in Cain was not a rock. The problem in Cain was a hardened heart. A heart that had been hardened by jealousy and by envy, and by hatred. And because of those feelings in his heart, 
they gave birth to sin. And he took his brother's life. Well, what are some ways we can avoid the danger of anger? What are the ways we can do that? Let me give you these three quickly. Number one, avoid ways that we minimize another person's potential. We've got to be careful that we're not minimizing another human being's potential. Uh, it is important for us to realize that our role as followers of Jesus Christ is to bring people to Christ and then raise them up to their full potential in Christ. That's what we do. We raise the potential. We ought to raise the potential of the culture. That's what we do. Number two, we avoid ways that, in which we magnify our sense of self-worth. We avoid magnifying our sense of self-worth. Now, please hear me. A lot of times we tear other people down, not because we want them down, but because by tearing them down, we think we make ourselves look better, don't we? You guys know what I'm talking about? Are you with me? We avoid that. You see, you, you, you got to understand, the whole concept of self-worth is not a biblical concept. It's not a biblical concept. Our value is who we are in Christ. It's not who we are in and of ourselves. And believe me, we need to realize in our society that we need to be careful that we're not undermining the value of another person in some, in some way, trying to elevate ourselves is what we're trying to do. It's sort of the crab motif. You take crabs and put them on the bottom of the ocean, and when one of them starts to emerge, the others will grab him and yank him back down. We've got to be careful that we're not only minimizing human potential, that we're not magnifying a false sense of self-worth, and then last, avoid ways we emotionally mutilate through hatred. There's a lot of hatred in our world today. God, guys, if this last week has not broken your heart, you need to check your heart. And I'm not just talking about the two hideous acts that happened. I'm talking about all the rhetoric that goes around in our culture as a result of it. And my heart breaks. When I look at the amount of hatred that exists in our culture today, it's time for the church to rise up and be careful about how we use our words. James warns us against how we use our words, doesn't he? And we need to be very, very cautious that we use our words, that we don't mutilate another human being with words that tear down, they don't build up. And by the way, church, we need to be careful with that in here. Okay? We need to be very careful with that in here. You know what, I, I, as a pastor, you know what I've seen destroy more churches than anything? You know what it is? Gossip. And, and, and here's the most spiritual way we gossip. You ready for this one? Well, we, you know, we need to pray for so-and-so. You know what I heard? Now, you may need to pray for them, but don't say that this is what we heard stuff. And so we need to be real careful with that. The Bible says you need to build up the body of Christ. And we need to build one another up. Listen, look at the person next to you and say, you're not perfect. <laughs> look at your wife and tell her that. Now look at the other person and say, neither are you. 
Now I want you to look at one another and go, na 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 na. No, I'm just kidding. Look, the church is a hospital for sinners. It's not a showcase for saints. And we ought to admonish one another to build one another up in a most holy faith. And guys, a lot of times we just, we're like a, a dog caught in a trap sometimes. We chew our own leg off. And we need to be real careful. The church is known in the world because it loves one another. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples because you love one another. That needs to be prominent. And I thank you. You guys do a great job at that. If you gossip about me, it never gets back to me. So we're good. So. All right, number three. How do we keep this commandment? How do we keep it? Well, the word, and I want you to write this word here. I wish I had put a blank on your outline and, and written it in here. Because the, 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 the answer is not not doing this. Okay, because we all violate this, don't we? How many of you have ever... Ever, if you're honest, had feelings in your heart that if you didn't put in check would eventually take you to the place of murder. Probably better. In fact, I read a psychologist one time says, we think our children are so wonderful and innocent, but if a child was big enough to act on its emotions, most kids would have killed somebody before they were three years old. And you've seen them, hadn't you? Have you seen them when they don't get the bottle when they want it? You guys know what I'm talking about? And all the women are going, oh, not my baby. Yeah, right. Okay. That's important. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not tearing your children down. I'm just saying let's be real here for a moment. Okay. Let's be very real about here. So it's, the answer is not us fixing our own problem. It never will be. Because in reality, if we are really, really honest with ourselves, we've all had murder in our heart. The answer is simply this. The answer is Reconciliation. And Jesus answered that later in Matthew 5 because he says, So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there and go to the altar, before the altar and go. And then he says, First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. See, the, the thing that the Christian faith has that nobody else has is we have this thing called reconciliation. And here's how it works. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. In other words, God did everything necessary for you and I to have a relationship with the Father. God did it all. I didn't do any of it. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. But that verse goes on. You know what it says? And then it says, and God has given to us those who have been reconciled to God, God has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. He's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. And so, when I come to the place of worship, and when I get there, I remember that I have ought against my brother, I have a problem with my brother, then I, I leave my gift, and I, I go to my brother, and I, and I make reconciliation as much as possible with you, live at peace with all men. In other words, I go and try to bring reconciliation to the relationship, then I come back, and my worship is authentic and pure, regardless of what the other person does. It's been a weird week around my house. We just had some interesting things this week. But my neighbor, I got a call from my neighbor. I saw one of my neighbors, and they said, by the way, you, you know one of our other neighbors, you know he had a really bad stroke. And they, the way they presented it, he wasn't going to make it long. 
And so I got in my car and drove down to Panorama City where he was in the hospital and walked in and he was alert and cohesive and he'd, he'd making a pretty good turnaround, much better than they thought he was going to. I guess some of the medications they gave him worked and I believe that. On top of that, I believe God is not finished with his life. And so I said to him, I said, how do I pray for you? He got big tears in his eyes. He said, I just want peace in my family. That's all I want. And he said, Jim, I don't think God's going to let me go because it's still important for me that my family can set aside their differences and get along. You see, we keep the commandment by embracing what God calls us to, not what he prohibits us from. And the truth is, Jesus called us to life. Jesus said, I came that you might have life. Interesting, the word Jesus used for the word life here is, the word, is not the word bios, which we would get our word biological life. It is the word zoe. It is a quality of kind of life. It's a life that is different because it's not filled with jealousy and envy and greed. It's filled with peace and love and joy. And when I move out of biological life and I receive the abundant life that comes through Jesus Christ, I have peace with God, I have peace in myself, and I can live at peace with people around me. And then here's the cool thing. I can become an agent of life by offering to others the life that, of grace that was given to me. Therefore, as followers of Christ, we are called into Christ for the express purpose of extending life to our world. The truth is, you can't give what you don't have. And if you don't have God's forgiveness, you don't know what I'm talking about. But believe me, if you know the forgiveness of God, you know peace. You know joy. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we look for ways to enrich the lives of others. And we do that, first of all, by protecting life. We should protect life. Life really does matter. And we protect life. Number two, we promote peace. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. For they will see God. And last, we pursue reconciliation as followers of Christ, we are defenders of life, we are proponents of peace, and we're agents of reconciliation. And it's all for one reason. It's because God values every human life. God values every human life. Look at me. That means God values your life. You may not value it right now. But God does. You may not see your life as meaningful right now. You may not see your life as purposeful right now. And maybe it's not because you don't see it that way. But please hear me. 
God values you. You say, how do you know God values you? Well, it's simply this. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but they would have everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believes is not condemned, but he that does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So how do I know Jesus values me? Because Jesus crawled on a cross and he said, I value you this much. And if God loved us, then we ought to love one another. You shall not murder. Let me turn it around. You should value life. You should value life, even when it's hot. Bow your heads. How's your life today? Do you have life? I'm not talking about church. I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about life. Do you have life? Is your heart in a place today where God can heal it of all the anger and resentment and the jealousy and the envy It may not cause you to go out and physically take another person's life. It causes you to withhold from other people the potential they have, the value that they have. And wouldn't you love to live free of that? I mean, let's be honest. Wouldn't it just be cool to walk out of here knowing you, you value not only your life, you value the life of every human you see? Wouldn't it be cool to walk out of here and just be at peace with God? And no, you don't have to be in conflict with everybody else. <laughs> Wouldn't it be cool to walk out of here knowing you've been reconciled to God because of Jesus Christ and God has made you in Christ as a person who can bring reconciliation to our broken world. This week, I saw a lot of death. I heard about a lot of death, not just physical death. And man, my heart has broken this week. And God's made me look inside of me. And I hope you'll let him look inside of you. Because if you're living in conflict with God, you're living in conflict with another human being, You're not experiencing the peace that God wants you to have. A peace that only comes through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You can't earn it. 
you will never deserve it. And so by faith, we simply accept what God has provided for us in the person of Jesus Christ. You know, I did that when I was six. But I renew it most every day of my life. And every time I pick up my life, I pick up my life. God reminds me that I got to put it down. And remember that I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the only begotten Son of God who died and gave himself for me. Some of you are angry at your families. Some of you are angry at your spouse. Some of you are angry at your neighbors. Some of you are angry at the church. You're angry at the government. And this morning, I challenge you to just let it go and let Jesus take it away. And here's what's cool. You can walk out that door free. Because if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. Father, you know our hearts. You know my heart. You know what I've... St- you know what I've struggled with this week. But God, thank you that your grace is sufficient. And it's all because of Jesus. Father, as we wrap up this morning, we don't finish, or you don't finish, because your Holy Spirit is speaking right now to my heart, and I'm assuming you might be speaking to somebody else's. God, you don't speak just to make noise. You You speak to make a difference. And so this morning, I pray the Holy Spirit would make us different. We'd recognize that this is all about Jesus because he makes the darkness tremble. So God, free us this morning from these murderous hearts and give us a love for life. We thank you.